at, at this time of year, uh, there, you know, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon that in the church, we have the church calendar, and so we do Advent for four weeks. Uh, this year, it, some churches even extended it by a week because the way that the calendar landed, Thanksgiving happened, and then there was a week of uh, an extra Sunday in there basically before Advent began, threw some churches off. It, it, but when you go outside of the church calendar and you look at sort of the commercial calendar that's out there, you know, Christmas either begins just directly after Halloween, depending on the store, or Black Friday, right? It's kind of the beginning of the Christmas season, and that's the point at which the radio stations turn the switch and start playing the Christmas songs. And we hear a lot of the same songs, some new ones every year, but a lot of the same ones over and over. And, and I, I think I, I've heard some of the same songs done in so many different ways this year. Uh, we need to pro- probably start adding a few extra new ones in the repertoire, I think. But, but our family was out last week at a store all together, and, and there was a song, I think it was Winter Wonderland, one of those, that's been done an awful lot of times. And this one was, it was, uh, you know, it had brass in the background, it had a lot of electronics in the background, auto-tuned voice, uh, way overdone, everything was overdone, it was way over the top. And I remember turning to Stephanie and, and saying, if you wanted to find a way to overdo this song, this is it, this is how you would overdo this. But isn't that the case? We're almost so used to some of these things, like, they just become background noise at this point. We've been talking about God's glory and God's glory revealed uh, as we've gone through this season of Advent. I, I hope that it would never become routine or background noise, God's glory to us what we're really actually focused on in this time, and God's glory revealed in the Son, Jesus Christ. May that never be routine. May that always be center stage for us. This morning, I want to focus on uh, the passage from Luke 1, 26 through 38, and I would encourage you to find that. Um, and we're going we're gonna to look at this section. We're going to read it right now. And, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit to catch uh, just one other verse from uh, Zechariah's story, Zechariah and Elizabeth as well. So we're talking about Mary. Joseph really hasn't mentioned much in this. Mary, though, in the, this part of it in Luke 1, 26 through 38. Luke writes this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. 
Now, all of these, when we get to the Christmas narrative each year, it can seem routine to us, as we were talking about. We can hear it. We hear the story of Mary and Joseph and the the angels coming to Zechariah or to Mary. And we get used to it. It can be like those Christmas tunes where it's kind of background noise almost. We don't hear the details anymore. We don't even hear the call on us. And this morning we're going to hear Mary's story contrasted with Zechariah's story. And I pray that you hear it with new ears today. Because really the question that the angels come uh, to Mary and Joseph with is, are you listening? God's calling. God is even speaking today as we read the text. Are you listening? Now, there are categories of, of people when we get to understanding of the Christmas story, and of, of really beyond that, of the story of Jesus Christ, his life, his mission, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and what that means. But at this particular time of year, I think it can get a little bit pronounced. Uh, there are people who just don't know the story at all. But, but we come to this time of year, and people know something's up, right? Even if they don't know the story. Something's going on. That's the, We have this time of year. And, and this is a growing category. So let's, you, if, we've, if you've lived for a long time, especially in our country, you might think, well, this is a small category of people who don't know Jesus Christ at all, don't even know the story even a little bit. It's a pretty big category, actually, and growing. Um, and, and I think of uh, biblical stories like uh, Rahab, when uh, the Israelites send scouts in ahead of time to check on the promised land before they're going to conquer the promised land, and they talk to Rahab, she's... She represents a community of people who don't really know the story of Israel and Yahweh, but they know something's up. She says people are melting with fear that you guys are here. And there are people like that. They're not melting with fear necessarily, but they know something's up. They just don't know the story at all. And and if that's you this morning, well, listen carefully, and and there's no substitute for reading the text. But but if we encounter those people, uh, let's pray for those encounters so we can actually begin to share with them Jesus Christ. There is a second category of people. There are people who think they know the story, right? And, and maybe some of us are in that category, and maybe we know a lot of people in that category. I think there are even more of these who think they know the story but don't actually know the story. And I, I was thinking this week of uh, that moment in Acts chapter 19 where Paul goes to Ephesus, and there are people who say, you know, we were baptized by John's baptism, and he says, well, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, haven't even heard of him. Don't, we don't even know this Holy Spirit. Tell us about him. There are people who just don't know the fullness of the story. They've heard parts of it. And so it can come in degrees uh, as simple as, uh, you know, all of our nativity scenes are are historically inaccurate because the wise men probably weren't there with the shepherds, right? That didn't happen. So some of us can have minor inaccuracies like that in our understanding of the story. Some of us can have major inaccuracies or people we know, like uh, the the survey in the U.K., a number of years ago that, that uh, people suggested that, um, or people thought that the plot of Harry Potter was straight out of the Bible in one way or another. They just don't know the text, right? But they think they do a little bit. Um, or what I hear more commonly these days is, is where does Santa come into the Christmas story? Like people think that Santa's in there somehow. And, and that's a real thing uh, at this point. That people think Santa and Jesus kind of were somehow brothers. I don't know. Uh, it's just all kinds of things. But you hear this. Or maybe this one is more common, the idea that, that Jesus uh, came as a baby, as a human baby only, um, kind of with, as God's representative, and he showed us how to be good, and that's about it, right? Which is, there's a nugget of truth there, uh, but that's not the full story. And so, <clears throat> I'll say this, there's no substitute for reading the story. 
for doing it yourself, for looking at it yourself, and for, for beginning to, or continuing to make sure you know the details. But even more so, as we get to the story of Zechariah and compare it to Mary, I would suggest that a great number of us might fit in the category of people who are doing right, who are trying to follow God, and yet sometimes it's hard to let the, the story really penetrate deep in and be real in our lives and challenge us anew. And so may that be our story today, that we're going to let these words come in and challenge us. If you look at the story of Zechariah, let's go to Luke 1, 11 and 12. Zechariah is married to Elizabeth. This is John the Baptist's father and mother. Um, the angel comes to Zechariah. And in verse 11, it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. That would have been in the temple. This would have been near the Holy of Holies, but not in there. So almost the center point of the temple where God's Shekinah presence would have been. Uh, this is the center point of all Israelite um, everything. Uh, this, is the, this is what they look to for their life. Um, an angel of the Lord came to him while he's standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. So he has this moment of doubt when the angel comes to him. And let me just point out, even a strong faith can have moments of doubt. That's okay. That happens. We're humans, and we live in a world filled with sin, and we're part of the problem. Uh, and so we're going to have those moments. But it's what we do with the doubt that matters, right? When we have the moment, is this really real? Is this really true? Is this really a word from God? We can have those moments. Zechariah, if you see what he does, he lets the doubt take hold and convert to fear and pull him towards unbelief. Whereas Mary, if you look at Mary, she doesn't let this moment of, of troublesome uh, nature in her soul, when the angel comes, pull her to unbelief. She digs in towards God, towards faith. And, and I want to make, make it clear, Zechariah is not a bad guy. He's described as righteous, so is Elizabeth. These are good, upstanding people trying to do right. But he has this moment of doubt, and he lets fear take over. And we should recognize what's happening with Zechariah's life. And, and in the grand scheme of the story of Scripture at this point, uh, the way that we would understand it in, in sort of our section of the church is that between Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, there's roughly 400 years of what we call silence. Uh, that is to say, there's no prophetic word uh, during that time. Uh, they have the, what we call the Old Testament. They're relying on the Old Testament, but there's nothing really new produced. Now, there's a lot of history that happens in that time. Don't hear me say that. Uh, there's a lot of people even trying to take uh, God's way into their own hands uh, to kind of take back some things that they believe are theirs. But there's this, this period of silence where the people kind of settle into their routines, um, and, and there's a semblance by the time Jesus comes of what we would call faithfulness. Zechariah and Elizabeth would be representative of that. There are people who are trying to follow the law, who are trying to do right uh, in, in atonement and in offerings and in their service in the temple. Zechariah, they both come from priestly families. Zechariah himself is a priest. They've both been praying for a child. They're getting old in years and think this is a forlorn hope by this point. It's probably not going to happen. And Zechariah is a priest in the temple. There were 24 divisions. He was of the 8th division of priests. They got to serve twice in the actual temple itself, the center point, uh, to do the work that needed to be done there. And so this is important work. Right? It's the most important work that goes on. Uh, when his time comes up, 
and we meet Zechariah here in the text. He's gone in to burn the incense at the altar. That's why he's standing next to the altar. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, there were a lot of priests. We only know about Zechariah because he's singled out here because God favored him, basically. Um, they would cast lots to pick who would actually get to go in and do the incense. It was a twice-daily task, but there are so many priests. Like I said, you'd probably only do it once in your life. This is the pinnacle of his career, is what this is. And, and when you went in to light the incense, you'd go in, you'd be very near to the presence of the Lord, and you'd, you'd sense that. And when you'd come out, you were supposed to speak a word of blessing on the priests outside. And it was for all of Israel, but you'd probably have the priests outside. They'd be blessed. So in this moment, the pinnacle of Zechariah's career, that's when God speaks. Seems like it makes sense, actually. Gabriel comes with good news for Zechariah, that he's part of God's plan. Picked out of all the individual priests to do this work. And as you read these two narratives and put them together, and you're really supposed to, I think Luke is helping us do that so we can see the contrast here. There are two truths that I think really come out strongly from this, from both of these stories. And the first is simply that God does what God chooses to do when God chooses to do it, which seems like a simple, plain truth. That's God's sovereignty. God has the authority to do what God wants. God has the power to do what God wants, and nobody controls God. So God does what God wants to do when God chooses to do it. And the second truth that I see coming out of the text that's important for us is that God's good news will be proclaimed. There's no stopping it. There's no stopping God's kingdom. It's going to come, and the good news is going to come out when God is ready to proclaim it. And Gabriel arrives on these terms to both Zechariah and Mary to deliver the good news at the time it's supposed to come. And the question for both Zechariah and Mary is, okay, human, what are you going to do with this news? That should be our question, too. What are we going to do when the news reaches us? And May, our family went to Disney World, to Universal Studios, all that. Um, and, and I know that in touristy areas, this has been going on for a while, uh, video cameras and cameras, you know, and now uh, smartphones are the, the uh, phone of, or the camera of choice, that people uh, just, they're constantly taking pictures of everything or videos of everything. That's, that's pretty normal. Uh, but the new wrinkle that, that I experienced this time is that they're also live Instagramming, tweeting, or Facebooking the event while it's going on. So they're on a ride, taking a picture and typing the information to post it while they're on a ride or while they're in an experience or a character experience or somebody's in front of them or whatever. And what strikes me is they, they then take the picture and then take their attention away from, like, so they've been looking through the camera, take the picture through with the screen in between them and the actual experience, move it down, type all the information while the rest of the experience is going on so that the rest of the world can know what they're experiencing, in quotes, and then they, they do it again. They keep doing it. So ultimately, they never actually experience it, if you think about it, Right? And, and the same thing, I, I, I had an incident last week. I've, I've resolved to not be in that category because I don't really share most of my stuff on Facebook anyways and, and social media. Um, but we were at a preschool show for our youngest last week. And, and so I took a couple pictures. I took a video. But whenever I do that, I always look over the camera. I'd rather have low video quality and watch the thing actually happen rather than come away and think the only time I ever saw this was through a lens or on a screen. 
And I want to see my son sing the song. I don't want to see it here virtually. I want to see it in real life. And then I can look back at the experience later if I choose to. And it's not like it's bad to capture it, but sometimes we get caught up in the technicalities uh, of the moment and miss the reality. And that's where Zechariah finds himself. He's like so many of us can be, especially if we're in the category of faithful or people who are trying to do right, who are trying to serve God, whether, whether we're within leadership within the church or people who just like to help and do good. We can easily do all of that and in the midst of our righteous living, miss God's voice entirely. And so we can read God's word, we can hear the story over and over, year after year, and be faithful, just like Zechariah. And the story uh, can become so familiar that we don't hear God speak. And we don't want to become those people, ever. Zechariah is righteous, but he misses it when it comes. If we go back to Mary's story, then go to Luke 1, 28 through 30. So the angel, same angel, comes to Mary. It says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Zechariah was uh, doing some very important work uh, in society of his day. People would have looked and said, a priest, that's a good thing. Mary, uh, it was doing understated work and underscored work. Eventually to be a wife and probably a mother. She was an average everyday person is what Mary is in so many ways. Contrasted with Zechariah. They're both righteous people. They're both described that way. And as Luke tells us the story, if you notice, he doesn't add more detail than is needed. And I think he's purposely doing that, as so many writers in Scripture are, as they're conveying the message, God's message to us. They're trying, Luke is trying to have us be drawn into the text as he presents the story in a way that's very inviting, very simple. To, to ask of us, what, what would you do as you hear these words? What, what would you do with the good news when it comes to you? Mary herself could have been as young as 13-ish, give or take. Uh, that's how they did it back then. She was betrothed to Joseph, meaning they were engaged. But uh, it's a little bit more involved than our time period. If you were betrothed, it took a legal uh, document to cut it off as a divorce. They were functionally married as far as legality is concerned. But they could not consummate the marriage until the wedding ceremony and the night. And let's just point out that people in the ancient world, and I like to point this out a lot, were not stupider than we are now. They understood biology. Uh, they understood that, that if you did try and consummate the marriage, that would have been adultery. And if you did that, then a baby could be produced. I think we're a little daft in our time as we act sometimes like we're shocked that it could happen in our time when that or sort of activity happens. It can. They knew it pretty well. They were keenly aware of this. And so when the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a child, she asks for just a little detail, but she doesn't let uh, 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 fear grip her. She says, okay, I know how this works. So how is this going to work in this case? Can you give me a little more detail? Zechariah 
He, he actually, if you read his narrative, he asks for a sign, basically. Okay, you say you're Gabriel. You say this is the word from God. Can you give me a little more? Give me your credential card here, Gabriel. Tell me a little bit more. This seems impossible. Mary says, yeah, this, this, this is a surprise, but just help me understand how it's going to work. She doesn't doubt it. She just wants to know how, how can I exist going forward with this news. It's going to be life-changing to both of them. They recognize that. Mary just needs a little more detail. She takes it in. Zechariah can't receive it. He's kind of pushing it away as it comes. And, and, and this is one of those truths that we need to recognize. In the midst of all this that we're talking about, we're often so busy and involved in our lives, and this season is even more the case than, than many, that when God speaks, we're caught off guard sometimes. God, I was doing right. I was trying to do good. I was reading the Bible. But wait, whoa, you're speaking to me? I didn't expect that. It's easy to become like Zechariah, doing good, but not really prepared for God to speak. They'd been marking time for 400 years. God, they hadn't heard the prophetic voice, God's voice for 400 years in a new way. And all of a sudden now, God's moving. And, and I really tried to take this to heart this week as I prepared for this morning um, because I, I get the questions throughout the year or as we get to this time of year when people say, well, boy, it's a busy time of year for you. Yeah, it is. Uh, don't work too hard on Christmas Eve. You know, those kind of comments come my way. And, and I really resolved this week as I read the text. I, I said, I, I don't want to be so immersed in the stuff of, of the technicalities of the week that I miss what God is speaking to me. Or saying to me, I want to let the text wash over me and ask the question, God, what do you have to say to me? But can I just tell you that that's not an easy task? I mean, even last night I was realizing, Stephanie and I were talking about this, there, there's constantly this battle warring against us to do and do and do and, and be anxious about the things that we need to do. And, and then sometimes that prevents us from letting God's word get in there and penetrate and actually challenge us at this time. God, what do you have to say to me? Just like you spoke to Zechariah in his busyness. How can I stop? How can I listen? And so the truths that we've heard that come from this text, that God is sovereign. God does what God wants to do when God chooses to do it. If you look at Mary and if you look at Zechariah, compare the two, they both respond to God. Uh, they just respond in drastically different ways. Zechariah, when he comes out of the temple, um, and he's supposed to speak the word of blessing in his moment of doubt that transitioned to fear, that transitioned really towards the, the unbelief side of things. God, you really aren't, aren't really calling me to do this. Sorry, this isn't really going to happen, is it? And by the way, he's not the first time that a couple who couldn't have children throughout Scripture were called upon by God. There were a number of them, actually. So this, this Mary had totally new scenario. Zechariah and Elizabeth, this was something that they had precedent for, and yet Zechariah questions it. But Zechariah is rendered speechless. So when he comes out and he's supposed to give the blessing, they all look at him and say, whoa, something happened in there because he can't speak. But do you find it interesting? Even if Zechariah can't carry the good news, God will speak through Zechariah. And God speaks through him at that moment when he can't even speak the words himself. God delivers a message. Mary, just like Zechariah, Mary gets the word that she's highly favored, which means God chose her by God's own choosing, at God's discretion, not because Mary did anything special to be chosen. And she carries God's good news 
literally, with great joy. And if you read on, you read her song, and she recognizes just how significant this is. God, out of your great grand narrative, out of your great story that you've been working on through all of history to rescue your creation, you chose me to be a part of that. And she's humble and blessed because she recognizes that she has been highly favored to be part of this grand story. Zechariah is too. He just can't quite let it in. The other truth is that God's kingdom will come. God's good news is going to be proclaimed one way or another. Mary, you're going to give birth. The baby's going to come. And God's glory, God's character is on display in that child born. In Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, we get a theological understanding of what's going on in this act of sending the Son. Colossians 1.15, in the 19 and 20, it says, The Son, so Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It's God's glory radiating out. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God still speaks, even now. Even to us, in this place. We're hearing his word. He is speaking to us. God is still at work. As you hear God's word, do you carry with you a spirit of fear today? A doubt that's kindled into fear that could lead you away from God's call on you. Or, and, and you hear, you, we hear it, and God, you're messing with my life. You know, for, for Zechariah, this was going to change everything about his ritual, his comfort, everything. God, you're going to change everything with this word. Or, do you hear the word and God's call on you and have a sense of wonder? God, how are you calling me, me, into your grand plan? How are you redeeming me as you redeem the rest of creation? How are you changing me so I'm more like your son, Jesus Christ, today? The story is greater than you or I. Zechariah hears it. It's hard for him to receive it. Mary hears it, and she says, I'm in. So where do you find yourself today as you hear the word? Does it wash over you? Do you say, I'm in? Let's pray together. Father, may we hear and receive, and may we respond accordingly. We know that your good news is going to get out one way or the other, and it already has. God, work through us that we would not only hear your word and receive it, hear your call on us and receive it, but that we would understand how we are a part of your story of redemption for all of creation. And that we are proclaimers of your good news because of that. That it wasn't by our will that you chose us, but it was by your own discretion, by your own joy, that you chose us to be your own. And Father, may we, receive, may we receive that today. And may we walk out of this place and go to family and friends and neighbors this week. And allow your glory to radiate from us because we've received your son. Because we've said yes to God with us. And we can 
convey that to those around us, that those around us who don't know the story, who think they know the story but don't know the story, would hear your good news and would receive it as good news. Father, help us today first and foremost receive that as good news, that we may share that good news with others. We pray this in your name.